From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and new episodes of Women at Work premiere on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, and you can find our podcast 24-7 wherever you get yours. Be sure to follow the show on the channel's Twitter handle, at SXM Business, and find me on LinkedIn. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about the power of poker and how it can change the game for women and girls. My guest for this discussion is a visionary, a powerhouse, and one of the few self-made female billionaires in the United States, Jenny Jess. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Laura. There's a I'm lot so to excited say, to be here. There's a lot to say about you before we even start to talk with you. So do you mind <laughs> if I share a little bit of your background? Sure. Okay. So Jenny is a little known billionaire powering fintech firms. She cut her teeth on the male dominated trading floor at O'Connor in Chicago. And in 1997, she started Peak Six with only $1.5 million in seed capital. She wound up creating a multi billion dollar financial services giant, housing the next generation of products and service brands, including Peak Six Capital Management, Apex Fintech Solutions, Evil Geniuses, and Zogo, providing the back end technology for over 50. 50% of current fintech companies. Jenny's passionate about creating opportunities for women to succeed in every environment, from the classroom to the boardroom to the poker table. She's built a number of programs for women in fintech, along with Fintech in Action, a coalition of corporations accelerating opportunity in fintech and finance for Black students and professionals. And in 2019, she started Power Poker, which is a woman-led company with a mission to teach 1 million women how to play poker, not for financial gain, but because she believes the skills required to play poker are also fundamental to our success in career and life, which is what we're going to be talking about amongst other things today. So Jenny, there's so much that you've accomplished. I want to back up and start with when you were a little girl dreaming of what you wanted to be, was it that you were going to be a major fintech innovator? Oh, gosh. No. Um, first of all, thank you for the lovely introduction. I'm going to say poker power, not power poker, just so people okay. people get it right. People switch it around all the time. Um, and was that my dream? No, it definitely was not. Uh, so I grew up in Wisconsin and uh, I, when I went to college, I really cared about, I, I was a big college basketball fan. So going to schools that had great programs, um, I ended up not getting into my first choice and ended up at the University of Michigan, thank goodness, um, which I was thrilled about. So that was first. And then the second thing was that I just end up in the city of Chicago. Um, that was the big city to me. Being that was the Chicago. destination. That was the destination. So I I just interviewed at places that were in Chicago. So it was totally happen chance that I ended up in options trading, uh, going to a trading floor. And then, of course, um, you know, there's some stories why we started using technology very early on because I wasn't a technologist either. Um, but so to end up in fintech and be doing what we're doing today was was never a part of the, the original equation. <laughs> so at the very least, were you was math a focus for you? Numbers, business, were you that was that where you were tracking early on? Yeah. So often I say that I'm a left uh, I'm a right brain person in the left brain world. Um so math came easy to me and, but I was really, uh, I was a good artist. I cared about it. I actually thought I was going to go into architecture. It's my grandfather was like, this is what you should be doing because you have both of those skills. Ironically, I think it's exactly those skills in a very left brain world, um, that helped me think about solving this, the problems that people had been solving for years and years. Um, differently. And I think that's why we became something from nothing. So you mentioned that basketball was a driver, a factor mm -hmm. in your decision-making, because we all know we really <laughs> include the most essential elements when we make decisions. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly Were you just right. a fan or did you play sports as a kid? Uh, well, I did play sports. I didn't, I was not on the basketball team. Actually, I, I played um, tennis primarily, but I was also a dancer and um but I love sports and I grew up with four brothers. So I was around sports a lot. So it was really important to me to throw a spiral football and to properly <laughs> shoot a basketball. And, and as a result, I got into college basketball. 
Um, so I could see that that's essential to your dignity when you're growing yes. up with all these brothers. <laughs> um, but did it, was there a competitiveness in you young? When did you like learn to compete? Yeah. Um, people ask that, uh, ask that of me a lot. So to me, I didn't think of myself that way, but I, when I look back, I probably was sort of always competing in, in a home with a lot of kids and then being the only girl. So, um, whether you're competing to, to get the last, you know, cookie at the table or that you're competing to just sort of be a part of the group, mm-hmm. right? How do I, how do I get included when I'm, I'm the only one? Right. My mom, my dad was, uh, you know, very busy uh, um, working every day. And so my mom's home with five kids. And and so if my girlfriends weren't around, what you know, how am I going to be part of this equation? So I I think there was something there, but I wouldn't have said. And I often say to people, I wasn't that competitive. And then they laugh at me. So I know I must not have been viewing myself correctly. But I also think I was more out of being a perfectionist. I think that's sort of a classic class a, uh, a type a female characteristic um and so that perfectionist sort of led to competitiveness i also think it's a um a trait of artists and yes as you, as you said you were dancing you were making art mm-hmm. architecture yep. is you know it's precision fitting. matters yeah so <laughs> exactly um, and we also that, so, we don't want that house to fall down no <laughs> and as someone with an arts background i like to think of it as it's an, a dimension of pursuing excellence yes and yeah, i appreciate that a lot because um, i think it doesn't get the credit it deserves in that way um and it it i think it can elevate something to an, a level that was totally unexpected right yeah Yeah, it certainly taught me um, how to pursue, take an idea, an abstract idea, develop it into something and refine it. And I posit you've done a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah, we do a lot of that. Maybe too much of it. Um, (laughs) We've we've learned our lesson the hard way. We like to say that we've failed in more ways than most people collectively have. So um, yes, it it feeds on itself because then everything becomes an idea of sorts, right? And right. especially in the in the last sort of 15 years or so, what kind of market we were living in, the market was fueling that type of behavior. So but also there's, you know, there's failure as a result of taking too many risks. And then mm-hmm. there's um failure is a necessary part of learning and developing ideas. Right. How did you learn the balance between those two things? Um, yeah, I love this question and I I love it mostly because we, we I think, as uh, those who identify as female, don't do it enough. And um, of course, I didn't. I wasn't conscious about it. I think there are, there are two things. One one was in search of that sort of compete or perfection or whatever we're going to call it. Um, you're naturally going to do that. Um, I think I didn't. I didn't have as much of a choice. I think being surrounded by men who are tend to be naturally more risk takers. So I was just doing what they were doing. Um, and then I think the, the, the final piece about what I learned was that it wasn't about the size of the risk. It was about the quantity of the risks. So the more small risks I could take, each one of those compounded on the other and I got the learnings back. So my oh, curve okay. started to be more exponential growth versus just linear growth because it you think about like compound interest where, you know, someone invests their principal and then they get interest, but then they put that all back in and then they get interest on the interest. And so that's how things grow. Same thing with those. And I, and I only realize this now, in retrospect, what I think I probably was doing, the quicker those experiences came, the quicker I got the growth, right? right. So the quicker, um, so when we do talk about poker, we'll be talking about hands and just having those opportunities for those small failures over and over again. I think those who identify as male, they get those really early on. So it's much easier 
later um, to do it. When we first met, we were at a really wonderful event hosted by UNICEF in honor of International Day of the Girl. Mm -hmm. And um, you were talking a bit about just the experience of playing sports with your brothers Mm -hmm. and how um, there's a lot of risks, like little risks that result in little failures, but Mm -hmm. it's all part of playing the game. That's right. And if and if we keep doing those, right, uh, it's interesting because we typically identify as I need to be perfect in order to grow, but no growth is is without some bumps in the road. Same thing when I take those risks, I should expect some failures. But if I don't, if I just have that perfect each time, by the time it actually really matters, let's say it's a job or it's a, you know, you're trying to take risk and take a job you're not comfortable with yet. If your competition, which half half the world is your competition, is is identified as male, and they're willing to take a risk with a little bit less and with a with the opportunity knowing they're potentially going to fail, it's a lot easier to take that risk when you don't expect to be perfect every time. But how would I know that if I hadn't already experienced that? And if I wait till it's really important because if I don't get it, I can't pay my bills. If I can't do this, like, you know, there's some larger consequence. So let's push them earlier. So that this whole poker idea really came about is how do we get girls taking risks sooner so that by the time they've got all these risks underneath Mm -hmm. in their belt, in their back pocket, um, so that they know failing is actually a way of winning, right? I learned something. So Reshma Sajani, I think it was, wrote this great book called Brave Not Perfect. Yes. And, you know, even making the case that from the time we have, we're babies or we have our babies, we're socializing girls to be perfect and boys to be brave. And it puts us on a pathway of either, like you said, not taking risks because we're too anxious about being perfect and then we don't make the mistakes that we learn from or developing the bravery that allows you to go have an adventure or two, fall down, get a few scrapes, lose a little money on occasion. But through the process, you have one, you keep learning because you have to, but you also have very different adventures. That's exactly right. And, and uh, it's, it's hard to tell someone your money journey isn't supposed to go up and to the right. But if you learn that young, um, it's a lot easier to stomach that when it happens later, because it's inevitably going to happen at some point in your life. The value of your house is going to be less. You're going to lose a job. You're going to have unexpected expenses. So that that bumpy journey is going to be there. Why don't we practice how to what to do in the case of that bumpy journey? And um, by the way, you, what you do, you might increase your downside, but you also increase your upside, your opportunity by doing that. So you have a wider range of potential outcomes, which again, that's where we, uh, in my opinion, especially being a male dominated field, I see men doing that, right? When you, when you think about new financial products that come out, crypto is a good example, but now you you think of new technology products like AI coming out, who's clamoring and who's the first in, who's creating those first companies, who's trading that first product, right? We, I mean, in, in our world, we have that data and, it's primarily men and they're taking that risk. They might lose. Yes, they know that. But after you do it a few times and you figure out how do I decrease my loss to give myself the most opportunity on the upside? Well, it's even happening yeah. at the level of use with AI where 66%, I think was the last number I read, mm-hmm. of AI users are male. Yep. And which means that there's an imbalance in how people are exploring new tools, yes. never mind where they're investing their money, but how Absolutely. they're building their own skill set. Yep. And and I and as soon as AI came out, I said the first thing I said was anywhere as as those who identify as female, we need to participate early. We learn from crypto because a lot of wealth was built in crypto. A lot of failures were built in crypto too. <laughs> net right. net, we can talk about what that summary is, but we know that women missed on a bunch of that. And they might be happy to miss on the downside, but there's a lot of upside that was gained there. What happens after crypto, this next crypto winner? We don't know. I always said that, you know, if half the world is not using this product, it's never going to become ubiquitous. So who knows? But AI, I think is different. I think it, it is a massive miss for our women to not start to practice, start to use, start to explore, start to research, start to learn, 
because everybody's starting from the same place, except for a few special people who were doing it like 10 years ago. Right. We're like, yes, the world's finally caught up. But there's and opportunity here. We're not behind right now for no, no. So this is a good shout out to go play, go explore. Right. And if it means you're going to start a business and become a billionaire like Jenny, great. But mm -hmm. if it's just and I don't want to say just if it's as simple as yep. you're going to explore it as a tool for any of your endeavors. That's right. From organizing your world to creating art or writing or doing research. It's so potent. It is. That it's it's not dissimilar from when digital technology hit our desktops. That's and right. a whole generation of people had to learn how to incorporate digital technology into a way of working as a tool that could accelerate what we could achieve. This is one of those opportunities. It is one of those opportunities. And when it doesn't seem that obvious and, and when you do something and you're like, um, that didn't really create that much value is kind of a, because there's a lot of party tricks out there with it so far, <laughs> but you know, it, we idea. have to just keep in, keep on. And, um, you know, we didn't understand the internet or whatever new tech comes along at any given point in time. Same thing. It doesn't mean, right. This, this has been, a, it's not like large language models haven't been around for a long time already, but now all these, all these things coalesce, they all come at the same time, same opportunities, different kind of tech that can deliver it in an easy way and a friendly way to the user, but we're going to have to start to use it. So I, it's not too late. So Jane, we're going to move into a poker in a minute, but I want to help our listeners understand kind of the trajectory of how we get you now. So um, what made you start Peak Six and who did you start it with? Sure. Um, so we were at a, an amazing company, um, O'Connor and Associates, and they were sort of very well renowned in the options trading space. And they did a joint venture with Swiss bank eventually became UBS, but, um, and we were there for that joint venture and, and we were able, my, my co-founder, Matt Holsizer and myself, we, we started a business together inside of the Swiss bank, um, O'Connor joint venture. And we didn't want to leave the bank. We were super happy with where things were going. They were starting to do new things and, but they, they were going to move to the uh, East coast and obviously work from home and all those things didn't exist at the time. And we suggested an alternative for something we could do, or we could have just stayed, but um, they said, no, thanks. And so we said, well, we're going to leave and do this on our own. So it really, it wasn't, there wasn't some entrepreneurial bug. I had a one-year-old at the time for heaven's <laughs> sake. So this was not the time to necessarily take risks, but it also felt like a little bit like when you go in an office today and no one's there, right? Like nobody was going to be there anymore. And so is that what really what we wanted to do? And so we were, you know, in our mid to late twenties and, you know, young and dumb and <laughs> decided to do this thing. So um, there wasn't, there was some vision. We thought, well, we just did this for the bank. We'll do this for ourselves. We had this idea of creating an over-the-counter derivative equity derivative um, firm, but you needed a credit rating and a, um, and a bank to do that. So we went to go look for partners and simultaneously we started trading because we have to make some money. And while we're waiting to hopefully do, do a deal. And the interesting thing is we met a gentleman who eventually became one of our partners. And as we were doing some of the stuff we were doing, he said, you know, you can use technology to do that. And we're like, oh no, I didn't know that. I went to, I got my BBA undergrad and Matt was an English major, though a very good um, math person. And we're like, great, teach us what this tech thing is. So 1998, you know, we became one of the first off floor um, equity options traders ever. Um, nobody knows like the real data around that, but um so we started using technology early and where all of a sudden we could do things that other people couldn't. We're like a few people in a room, you know, less than 10 and um, starting to compete. And uh, obviously one thing led to another 26 years later, that same uh, trading firm has never had a losing year and has made, you know, money, you know, multiple times over. Um, we had some early investors and they were they were paid back and, and left fairly, fairly early but it allowed us to do a whole bunch of other things. And um, we explored and failed at a bunch of them. We stopped counting at 15, but we basically uh, started or bought and turned around more than 15 companies, most of them failures um, and, and a handful of really big successes, one of them obviously being the trading firm. Um, and 
all those failures allowed us to sort of take that next level risk. And um, so the only one other thing I would say, the interesting thing about trading, and I'd like to bring this up because you don't have to go into trading, but as those who identify as females being participants in the markets, right? If you Mm -hmm. have a money manager and you just give all your money there and you don't have, you're not aware of what they're doing and why they're doing it, or you don't understand money, generally speaking, you cannot ask the right questions and you don't know what risks you're really taking. And today technology's at your fingertips. There's so many of these firms out there. We're actually more than 60% of these, these online, you know, retail broker dealers, and you can play with really small amounts of money. Um, you know, hundred dollars or 50, you don't have 10,000, you don't have, have $10,000 at a firm to be able to do these things, to start to play and recognize and learn like, and it's right at your fingertips. The democratization of the fin, what the FinTech world has done, and we've just been the back end of it. It's phenomenal what these firms have done, um, but it's a great opportunity for learning, for education, for taking risk, but then being able to have conversation around money with either your, you know, your family or your investment advisor or whoever else it might be. Yeah, so. we um, did a show recently with Sally Krawcheck and we were talking exactly. about- Exactly, Elvis you know, is a great example. First of all, how important our financial literacy is to our well-being. Um, Absolutely. At really like close to home level. And then how accessible these opportunities are. And yeah. so that you can, like you said, invest $100, invest your tax mm-hmm. return, start, yeah. just start putting the money away. And yes. I love the way that you framed it, that it's democratizing it in mm-hmm. some really potent ways. Yeah. So you made it through this whole journey, dealing with risk, mm-hmm. allocating capital, and I'd say calculated risk, because I yes. gather there was a roof over your head and you were feeding as, eating <laughs> as you had your 15 failures. Yes. Um, but during this whole time, you didn't play poker, did you? No, I didn't. In fact, I was annoyed because the guys, oh, they all play poker. It seemed like it was a big waste of time. It's like, it's golf. How many hours can you do this thing? And um, (laughs) we need to focus on our work, but like, it just kept coming up. I, you know, I would say, you know, high percentage, it certainly in our our core trading business play, but also just a high percentage of, you know, it's about 2000 people under peak six of those who identify as male as our, our poker players. And I was, I ignored it. Um, my dad was very against uh, any kind of ga- what was perceived as gambling. I did not understand that it was a mind sport. I did not understand really anything about it. And so how did you first get exposed to it in a way that changed your mind? I love that expression, mind sport. I'm going to come yes. back. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um, like chess. Uh, mm-hmm. So... <laughs> It's such a such. It's funny now when I say it out loud. But so so my husband was with my my. So I have three sons and a daughter, and he was with her, playing a tennis match. Uh, She was playing a tennis match. He was watching. He's very competitive, and getting frustrated because he she's quite talented athlete, not winning, and so he comes home and he's super frustrated. Doesn't want to say that to her, and he says to me. You know, she may as well have been hitting against a wall. She may as well have been hitting with her teacher. She doesn't realize that. she brings something to the game, but also something's happening in this game as they're playing. They're learning about each other, but she's she's not catching on to, she's not thinking, she's not using her brain um, in the game. Um, she doesn't realize she's playing against someone. It's not her teacher. It's not the wall. She needs to learn to play poker. And ironically, he knew how to play, but he's he was not a poker player either. And he just... I, I walked away because he was being, I thought he was being ridiculous. <laughs> and, um, but what got me like literally like two weeks later, it popped in my head. Should I teach my 14 year old daughter to play poker? And I think, you know, when I say that out loud now too, hopefully it frustrates most of your listeners because <laughs> certainly I never would have said that about my sons. And it's a real question when you start asking it about daughters and it shouldn't be, of course. Right. Um, so then again, back to my, the, these 15 companies, um, I, I didn't mean to start a company and, but I just wanted to do an experiment. And so I asked, um, her friends, moms, I was like, listen, I just want to try this. Like what happens if we teach these girls to play poker and me, by the way, I not, <laughs> I didn't know what, I, I don't know what I was going to get. I had no idea what I was going to get. I thought nothing except for a game to play. 
And as we watched them play, so we had these four lessons. This was in spring of 2019. And what I saw, and this is what the initial motivation was from the girls was, um, I, I like to say the skies opened between lesson one and lesson four. They went from whispering to each other about, you know, what should they do? Um, if somebody lost their chips, he'd be like, you can have my chips to sitting up straight, peeking at their cards and nobody was going to take their chips. I was like, what happened? Like you walk in the room, you physically see it compared to what, you know, between the, the, the four one hour lessons. And so I knew we were onto something. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I felt like I knew the table was like a money, what I call a money table. And, um, which we're at money tables our whole life, but I think, you know, we don't sit at them. So we have to take a short break. Okay, good. This is a perfect place to pause because when we come back, we're going to dive into all that Jenny learned and all that Jenny did as a result. Um, I'm Laura Zarrow. This is Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome back to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we're going to get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. And I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. Today, we're talking about how we empower women and girls through the mind sport of poker. My guest for this discussion is Jenny Just, co-founder of Peak Six Investments and one of 23 self-made female billionaires in the USA. So before the, well, Jenny, welcome back, first of all. Thank and you. Before the break, you were sharing with us this kind of epiphany that you had, this moment where motivated by an observation that your husband made mm -hmm. about your daughter's athleticism without competitiveness, maybe as a right. way of summing it up, like yes. really gifted athlete, mm -hmm. but um, play and a play. And what you discovered by creating, just by having the experience of playing poker with your friends, and friends. bring your daughter to the table with her friends, right? Correct. Yeah. So okay. 10 girls, 10 moms, all knowing nothing, um, creating a safe environment for everybody to learn. And um, it, it, was it was so magical that we are where we are today. If it wasn't magical because of all my failures, I know when <laughs> to cut my losses really quickly. <laughs> And um, this one was not worth cutting. And ironically, right, we, so we, it was really all about the confidence it brought to these young girls. I also say this, if my daughter had been over 16 or 16 plus, um, this would never have happened. The fact wow. that she was 14 and well, willing to listen, they were all willing to listen to their moms and, and go and make a commitment um, just because it's, it's really hard. And we see later on, actually, my daughter and I did a, a TEDx together, um, her experience as she started to grow into this and and the experience we see with sort of, especially now, sort of 18 to 22 year olds. Um, it's really hard to sit at that, what the poker table, um, which represents a lot sort of socially for these mm -hmm. girls. So the fact that we did it young was really critical. The fact that we have a lot of work to do to to let the 16 to 22 year olds know that they belong at that table too. That's a whole nother story. But if we hadn't started then, I don't think this ever would have happened. But as we started to see this confidence, we thought, well, we need to teach these girls. In, my, in the back of my head was always, we need to get to them before the first rung on the ladder where we know... Mm -hmm. it, you know, men and women kind of come out of school, they're equally educated, and the man takes um, a risk with 60% confidence, a woman needs, you know, 90% confidence, and then he can get ahead in that next job, and then he stays ahead, and you throw maternity leave and other things in there, other things in there, but it's really hard for the female to catch up. And also as the, um, and we just talked with McKinsey about this from the recent Women in the Workplace report, that there's two sides to that coin, that it's also that um, people will give men the chance to take the risk. They That's will, exactly right. They will promote men based on their potential and they will only promote women on their performance, which makes it that much harder for those who are identifying as women to bravely take the chance and step away from having to be perfect. That's right. And the strange thing about that is that women have to take risk sooner for sort of generically this, this stereotype to go away. 
but mm-hmm. it's actually working against us. I mean, I literally, a very large, a very old, large investment firm, um, a senior gentleman there just the other day, he said, so he was talking independent, doesn't know anything about my poker and says something about, you know, I always wonder why when the women come to say they, they, they should be promoted to managing partners, like they have perfect stories. So he went on and on about this perfect story. And I looked and I go, did you expect them to come with anything different? This is right. exactly what we've taught them to do. Like you can't fail. Or we taught ourselves, or society has. I'm not blaming anybody, but that's exactly what we see over and over again, which and, is why. Yeah, go ahead. And research shows us that it, it and it becomes particularly acute at the beginning of puberty and in middle school, mm-hmm. where girls who would have otherwise been excelling and highly engaged, engaged in STEM sports. Um, start to retreat, start to pull away from those things and pull into themselves. I'm so struck by the way that you tuned into 14 was different than 16 or 18. Yeah. It's, um, it's like I said, it's still a problem. And, and I didn't know that at the time, of course, but I know that even more so now, Mm -hmm. um, I would have hoped that I could have gotten through to my daughter, but like, it it wouldn't have happened what had happened. Um, and because then as we started to teach more girls, we kept young, we stayed young. And so we were probably 17 clubs. We do it differently today, but the time in 2008, 17 clubs, three States, and then COVID came. Ah, so we were, and to me, it was all about being at the table. Right. So it's very much an in-person experience. Very much an in-person thing. So we said, we will see you when this thing is over. And obviously- Interesting from our tech innovator. Exactly, right? So, well, now, of course, then what do we have to do though? We had to change um, because it wasn't over. So by April, May, we finally were like, okay, we're going to have to do this on Zoom. We're going to have to do it on an app. And guess what? When you go and look at apps, boy, are they not gender neutral. So here we are on, on this very masculine app on a Zoom figuring out how to teach these, these girls. And we wanted to, under the peak six umbrella, we said to those families, we said, we want to teach your daughters this during zoom. And so now that are doing during COVID. So now we know how to do this during, um, on zoom and some of the women, I give them so much credit and I, and, and because this would never be where it is today if, if they hadn't said it, cause it was, this was not my idea. They said, if it's so good for them, why aren't we learning? And I was, I was like, I don't know. Great Good question. <laughs> great idea. So we started teaching them and then that became, you know, cause everybody is looking for something to do during COVID. And then some other, uh, a woman at Morningstar, again, thank, thank goodness for her. It's a friend of someone at our firm. She was in HR there say, said, I want to, I want to do this too with my team. So Morningstar just started with, I don't know, 10 or 30 women and went to 60, 90. Next thing you know, it's international uh, international for Morningstar and um, we're opening Women's International Month for them. So that's how sort of corporate opened up. And then you look at today, we just hit our over 232nd company um, or organization, some are organizations um, that we've taught at and we're in 40 countries and um, all because the women started to see the benefit. Now, mind you, what happened to those young girls in the meantime? So as as this started to run with corporate, um, we knew a couple of things. One is all the messages we were sending, they're, they're quite sophisticated for a 14 year old. They just mm-hmm. think they're learning poker, just like a young man just thinks he's learning poker. And right. most men just think they're playing poker, right? Right, having fun. They're just having fun. They don't realize the skills that they're getting, but they get all that practice. The young man does, right? Gets all that practice. So by the time he gets to work, right? Of course. And you know what? He also was sitting with that other gentleman who's going to give him a raise or they're going to take a risk with together. So they all know how this whole thing operates. And we're just, you know, being perfect on our straight line to, to a job thinking everything is equal here when it's not. They've had all this experience that we haven't had yet. And, um, but to get these young girls, we knew it was schools, which we knew was going to be hard. And right. 
Might and as well and just to note, there was no money involved with the girls. Right. There's no up. money. There's still no money. There's no money that transacts. Um, and uh, our and and by the way, it's all a philanthropic endeavor by me. Um, now, of course, we have this corporate side, or corporates pay for us to come and 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 do our thing. But yes, this. But to me, the core of this is really to get the young girls. But what we realized when the the more mature women were taking off, we thought, well, at a minimum, we get role models, mm-hmm. we get women at the table, we get men understanding that the women can be at the table, and then we get women telling these women we need them to teach their daughters. So worst case, we get a flywheel. That probably takes too long. The other thing, of course, we had was that, you know, so our goal really is to teach a million. Um, if you, the, the, the really top line premise was, let's call it a hundred. There's nobody knows real numbers, over a hundred million people in the world that play poker, less than sort of 70% are women. If half of those poker players were women, how would the world be different? It's a, it's a really um, provocative question. It is. So as we've been talking, you know, it's clear that there's risk involved in poker. Mm-hmm. And um, I could see why this got such traction in a corporate setting. When we were playing poker at the UNICEF event, it was an mm-hmm. amazing way to spend time with these fascinating women. It right. was fun, but there was also other elements involved. So talk to me about, there's a lot of things that we learn from poker. That I don't think most people are aware of. So well, can you run down some of them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I will definitely go. And first, I'm going to start with when we were at that UNICEF event, like all of our events, the, the, there are two things. First of all, worst case, you're going to have fun. Mm-hmm. That There is a reason why men play this game over and over and over again. Um, yes, there are some who are addicted to the money part and whatever else, but it is a really fun game. The other thing that we didn't realize when we were doing it was the networking. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden at least for us, we're taking all these women from all different parts of areas, seniorities, ages, putting to putting them together in a safe place and learning together. And so Which is probably the best way to network. Right. The best way to network. The things that have come out of the women networking at this these poker tables, just like men do, right? We're not, we don't have to go learn golf to be on the golf tee, you know, and hopefully, <laughs> you know, get somewhere close to par. It's just a card game, right? right? It's not a heavy lift. It's not, it's not a heavy an expensive lift, to, lift. And it's not an expensive lift. Um, but more importantly, what do we learn? So the biggest things for me, we learn how to, to, to take risk and practice taking risk and failing and getting back at the table. We learn strategy and then we get to practice strategy. So I am going to have a strategy depending on who's the table. The interesting thing, the computers haven't figured out poker. They figured out a lot of things about poker, but it's not like chess in that way where the computers have figured out because I have to play people. Ultimately, I'm not playing the cards. I'm playing the people at the table. And the final thing for me, the big, really big thing for me coming from where I come from is this idea of capital allocation. I have resources. I have chips. How am I going to use them to accomplish my goal? And I think for every woman who's starting a business, for every woman who's trying to to budget her life and figure out what she's going to do, for every woman who's going into negotiation, what do I do to protect those chips, and 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 make that pot bigger? So, and um, and and it's hard. Women dance around the money idea, right? They get close to it. Right now, I have to sit at that table. That was the beauty with the youngest girls. Sit at the table. I'm the only one that can make decision about that money. And how do I get practice doing that? Um, so it was both empowering and instructive. Uh, both. That's what was so be- By the way, I started to learn. So then what I did is when I started to see the strategy, when I see started to see um, different hands unfold, I, I was like, that looks like that deal I just did. That looks like that meeting I was just in. And then we we actually, you know, do you take it to the nth degree? We have used it now as a framework amongst our partners. And now all of a sudden you have this common language. What do you think they have? I think they have a pair of queens. I definitely don't. At best, they have a pair of nines. Maybe they have an eight, nine suited. And then you have a conversation about why you think that way. And by the way, it's a great equalizer for women to have conversation with men. Like, I love this idea of like, 
you know, where the man, the man always ends up to be the mentor and the woman is the mentee. And it's like, I'm going to go out for coffee and what are we going to talk about? Right. Right. And now if I start to use this as a framework, as a language, it becomes really interesting because now the man tends to be really engaged around it. Right. (laughs) He loves it. Like, this is cool. This is fun because it is. And we know from research that um, it's our loose ties that are most productive when it comes yes. to tapping into our network for future work. And in some research that I did, it was amazing to see how prevalent networking as a sport is, but totally fruitless. <laughs> Going to the cocktail party and swapping business cards, because in that experience, you don't learn enough about someone to have to know why you want to talk to them again. Exactly. And if you just like if you're in class with somebody, you wind up making friends, not just because you did a project on the side, but because you become real to each other in increasingly substantial ways. And you sit around the poker table, you get to know people and you have a sense they become real to you. And then you can make that phone call or reach out on LinkedIn and make the ask when there's something substantive to talk about together. So it makes perfect sense yes, that it has it, this potency. It, it, it does. It has that potency, which is why it's had potency for men for so many years. And we just missed it. Right? There's a few special women who've been able to take advantage of it, but not many. You know, and I have no data on this, but I will tell you in my own secret little world, because I I was, you know, very private person for a very long time. And then this happened. And so now I'm out talking. But um, as I've been talking to senior women, particularly, as you would imagine, the financial industry, but nobody would have known. I will tell you there when I meet them, 60, 70 percent of them grew up playing poker. Really? financial women. I would love somebody to do research on it. We are busy doing research on, in a couple different ways. Harvard, um, the Kennedy School, we have a great group doing something there. Kellogg School of Management doing research. But separately, I'm telling you, if I could get these senior women to give the data, because nobody ever asked the question, right. did you play poker growing I up? I think right? you're really onto something, given that we all, part of why I asked you the question about sports in the beginning is that of the small number of women who really inhabit the C-suite, there's an amazing um, correlation with their having played sports when they were young. And that this is another one of those experiences, but it's also, it's not expensive. Privilege does not- Doesn't get into the equation. At all. And um, also if you're physically disabled, if you can't you know, none of those things are necessary. You need a group of people, a deck of cards and some chips and you can have a game. And you can have a game. Yep. And, and repetition is, is your friend. And now you can do that at, well, poker power is one of the things, by the way, back to tech, right? Mm-hmm. What we knew to get a million women was we were going to have to build the tech and there are not that many poker engines on the planet did not know that, found that out, um, tried to buy one or two of them, didn't work out. So we built our own. And so now, in my opinion, first gender neutral poker app on the marketplace, but that took us time. But how do we, we had to do that. So we did the corporate women simultaneous to getting this app, which is a build, you know, 18 months, two years build, mm-hmm. um, has a lot, uh, has a long way to go, but is at least there for our women today, safe environment, safe place for women to go and play. But there's also open play on there too. So you can start to venture out, you know, you don't have to stay in, in, in the bubble forever, but the bubble is really fun. Honestly, <laughs> right. you start to meet the women and then you have the conversation in the game and, you know, you can just jump on, you know, three times a day, we have these community games. So it's really fun. But um, you know what the interesting thing is when we go to things like the UNICEF event, those women leave, guess what? They don't have any friends who play poker. It's so funny that you say this. I came out of there. I texted my girlfriends. I took a survey. One played a long time ago. One plays off and on. They're all coming over here on Saturday. And guess what we're doing? Oh my gosh. You're amazing. That's so so great. That, so that, that is that is our perfect world where women, you know, take that and they teach, you know, obviously through Poker Power, we teach, we have various ways that we teach. We teach virtually, we teach um, online on the app. You can go in there and learn. The biggest way you learn, of course, is um, by practicing and playing, but you have to get the basics down. So yeah. we have some really great programs online that that you can do that with. Or, you know, the other big thing, which we love is our corporates. Tell your ERG groups, your HR groups that you want to have 
you know, an incredible, you know, women plus event. This is the way to do it now. And that's what we're seeing everywhere. So, yeah, I can say, so tell me more about poker power as an organization. Is it not for profit, for profit? You have a goal. What happens when you reach it? Mm-hmm. Well, te- technically there's no profit. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and the the goal eventually is to have the not-for-profit and the profit. What, what ended up happening, again, like I said, wasn't, it was all for me. I had always said, if I was ever going to be out there, I would want to be able to give something tangible. Ironically, this came to be, but a tangible way to help women with money. And um, I will tell, I, and I say this with all seriousness, this would have say, to take, to taken 10 years off of my le- learnings if I had done this that much sooner. Really? You, you yes. feel like these lear- the learnings are so potent? They're so potent. Even today, even today we use it, like I said, we use this framework with our partners. Um, yeah, the system. Human so the system. system is amazing. We have um, uh, a former JP Morgan private banker, uh, Aaron Leiden, who's our president, which, you know, the funny thing is we were friends and we met um, when Peak Six almost went public many, many years ago and didn't end up going public. And um, and she just laughed at me when this was all came about. And then she learned and she was like, wait, what is this? And so she has just been a powerhouse out on speaking circuit with the largest tech companies at their conferences, you know, the largest investment banks. Uh, it's crazy the people have who have understood. She's actually had done a TEDx herself on on um, um, pay equality. So she's out there. Then we have amazing poker teachers. So they we have over twenty poker teachers across the United States, and they are either joining in virtually or in person. Um, so events that happen or our games every single day or our lessons that are happening every single day. So, I mean, we are over, way over program for the amount of people that we have on the team. And then of course, our team of uh, people who are building the, building the app and making it better every single day. But we have, you know, amazing poker pros who have sort of converted their other lives into being part of this mission. And um, I, the best thing about I think this program is to see the women that the poker women grow from a business perspective. And then of course the business women grow from a poker perspective. So they both get something from each other. Um, And then the, the women who are customers who really, really, truly get it. Like our law firms are amazing. They're doing things like bringing their clients together with them and learning together. So all of a sudden, this idea of learning together, right? We have book clubs, which really are motivating for people, mm-hmm. right? We may have these wine clubs, but this idea of knowing nothing and walking away, you in an hour and 15 minutes, you know how to play this game. And I always say, the average man is not a very good poker player, right? <laughs> what you see is on TV, like they're fine. And you are absolutely capable of sitting at that table with those men after you leave just an hour and 15 minutes. Because like you said, it's just a card game. Now, poker you will learn for a lifetime. Believe me, I know it's very, it's very humbling in many ways, but, um, you, the, the hurdle for a female to actually get into the game, like the fact that you were at the event, um, it is starting to become more prevalent with us in the beginning. It's like you say poker and a woman turns away. Right. That's how I was up until I heard your name and looked you up and I got really intrigued. And then when I had this experience, because one, it was fun, the learning was fun and I'd always wanted to learn it, but I was never in a setting where that was going to happen. Right. Where I felt right. Where would they exist? Exactly. And, um, and also it's metaphorical because we spend our, you know, one of the phrases that we use now is pull a chair up to the table. I think it was Shirley Chisholm who first said it. Yeah. And this is literally, you're pulling your seat up to a table and it's a table where we don't usually belong and we certainly don't inhabit normally. Exactly. And, and it's the first step to step to pulling a seat up at the other tables. It is. It is a major hurdle. I, you know, I always laugh. There's, there's this one girl, she doesn't even know this. And this is right in the beginning of COVID and it was at peak six and she, she stopped me in the bathroom of all places. And it still gives me shivers. And she's like, I just, I just played and, and 
I just played poker. And for the first time, she's like, I never thought I would sit at the table. And she goes, and I won a hand. And it was like, what, what, I don't know what we've created in this world that it's so miraculous for a female to win a poker hand. But like, I'll tell you the first time I went to a real poker table, which was again, during COVID, because I mean, besides being at home with my daughter and her friends, um, it was like, West side of Chicago in like a strip mall that has like paper on the wall. I mean, I didn't even know this stuff existed. <laughs> my heart was beating out of my chest. Like what? Like we have created this force field and we are allowing that to exist. I mean, nobody on the planet has ever figured out how to get women to play. And we are one woman at a time. And now hopefully a lot more women at a time using technology going to break down that final wall. And then that, that table, like, I, I am telling you that being making decisions around your capital and it's your decision and just practice doing it. I, it's like exercise. You don't get benefit from playing once, right? right. You're from exercising. It, but once. it's doing it all the time. It's doing it all the time because you start to learn. You go, oh, that's what they're doing. Women are so surprised when when not everything is on the table. When something happens in a meeting, it's like play a game of poker. Guess what? It's exactly same thing. Jenny, I could talk to you all day. This has been I fascinating and delightful, but unfortunately we're running out of time. Where can people go if they want to learn more about you and all of your work? I appreciate that. You can definitely, um, pokerpower.com is, is a great place to, to start to learn about that. Um, peak6.com, obviously about peak six and what we do. Um, uh, poker power play is our app that you can download. And, you know, there's some modules in there to start learning right out of the gate. Um, and we would love to teach the women in your lives collectively, right? The more we teach at a time, the better, um, because then all of our friends know how to play. Danny, so, this is tremendous. Thank you so much for all of it and for joining us today. Thank you. This has been Women at Work on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Laura Zarrow. Have a great week, folks, and go take a risk or two. Something to survive. And yes, it's unbelievable. When there's nothing left to hurt inside.